Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. Sign up using our link and receive a $500 risk-free bet. That's right, $500. And if you send in your first bet slip, you're going to get a free t-shirt courtesy of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. So head on over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash win for a $500 risk-free bet. That's right, sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N. We're also brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for avid sports bettors providing insight, analysis, and free betting picks. Better Than Vegas, it's like YouTube for sports betting. Make sure to subscribe to our page so you don't miss a pick at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV. We're also brought to you by Better Edge. Better Edge is a stock exchange for sports bets, allowing you to buy and sell betting positions like a stock market. The best part is it allows you to bet with no VIG. That's right, no VIG betting that's legal in up to 40 states. Sign up at BetterEdge.com, promo code SGP, for a free $10 bet. That's B-E-T-T-O-R, Edge.com, promo code SGP. And finally, we're brought to you by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sportsbook. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. Hello, 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 and welcome, all my little degenerate friends. Welcome to episode 11 of the MMA Gambling Podcast on the MMA, not quite the MMA Gambling Podcast Network, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. We haven't quite taken over yet, but once again, MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Uh, Thank you for joining us once again, and thank you for everyone who has listened up to this point. Um, Looking at the data, we're one of the most popular podcast on the site already so i uh, thank everyone for that um my name is jeff fox i am your host every week and the reason you tune in for sure uh i write about the sport uh and do some editing over at sportsgamblingpodcast.com i'm also editor-in-chief and the the head whatever you want to say head guy head dude head, head cheese head over honcho. at uh, head honcho over at uh mma-manifesto.com um the voice you just heard is um, is my co-host. Uh, usually at this point in the podcast, I I crap all over him for for his horrible MMA picks, and this week is no different because he's still <laughs> horrible at picking fights. And that would be Daniel Gumby Vreeland, host of the Top Turtle MMA podcast and host of uh, Prelim Picker. Hi, Dan. Hey, and I will say, you know, I I fancy myself the Prelim expert. I did hit. Over 50% of the prelims, correct? Uh, I just then followed that up quickly by missing literally every single card or fight on the main card. Yeah, well, we we both tend to do good on the prelims, and then things tend to fall apart on the on the main portion of the card. Uh, we're uh, we of course are talking about um, UFC Fight Night Holloway versus Cater, or UFC on ABC Holloway versus Cater, or UFC. Fight Island 7, or it, it's been called lots of things. But yes, uh, which went down last Saturday from the magical, mystical, mythical UFC Fight Island, which is really uh, Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi, uh, UAE. Um, quite a quite a night of fights. Um, 
despite us doing fairly poorly with our picks. Uh, Dan, we'll start with him. He went three and seven, which is just horrendous. Even for him, that's very bad. Um, and he's down to start the year off. He's down at like 57% of his, of his investment uh, of the money he put in. Uh, he bet he, he got a minus 57% return on it. Uh, I didn't do too much better. Um, Consider I didn't pick any really any real underdogs. I wasn't bound to, to make a whole bunch of money if I missed on some picks. I was five and five, um, down twenty four percent. So much better than Dan. Um, we had all the same picks up until the last two fights, which I was waffling on. But I just, just the uh, luckily I decided to stick with my original original picks um, for for those those two fights, and that was that made the difference between. Uh, between me being three and seven and, and uh, me being five and five. So uh, I, the last two fights saved me a bit. Uh, before we break it all down, I want to tell you about one of our new sponsors, which we just got, a WinBet. Um, they just started up with us a few weeks ago. Um, they have a $500 risk-free bet, and us at uh, Sports Gambling Podcast, we're going to give away free T-shirts to everyone who, uh, if you send in your first WinBet screenshot, uh, email it to podcast at sportsgamblingpodcast.com, and you get yourself a free T-shirt. Uh, as for WinBet, uh, they, there's, they have tons of boosted bets, including a wheel spin to boost parlays. It's perfect for all you hashtag the gens only. WinBet is currently online in New Jersey, Colorado, Michigan, and is coming soon to more states uh, and hopefully your state on the way. If WinBet isn't active in your state, you can still get a free T-shirt just by referring a friend. So make sure you go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash win. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com dot com slash win and win is about w y n n all right um i guess the reports of max holloway's demise uh are premature uh after watching how watching his performance on saturday night wouldn't you say yeah and man it's crazy because you know i i said on the the podcast last week that i thought that the reason why we could talk about him possibly not being able to deal with a boxer like calvin cater is that Calvin Cater is the type of person who would engage him in a fight and let him land his punches because he was going to land more. We knew Max Holloway was going to land a ton of punches no matter what. I just thought Calvin Cater would, in doing so, in letting himself be hit, and I don't mean letting himself be hit, but in, in getting hit and in, in accepting the damage, would be able to dish out more. But the craziest part of Max Holloway's performance and the, the piece I don't think enough people are talking about is the defense. Like, his evasiveness in that fight was next level in something I don't think we've seen in any of his recent fights. Even the fight with Frankie Edgar, where he won, like, Frankie Edgar was hitting him more often, and he was, I don't know if just, like, trying to evade less, or if he just, like, leveled up his head movement in a wild way for this fight. Because, I mean, like, at one point in time, he was throwing punches, evading punches, and talking to Daniel Cormier all at the same time, which is, I mean, like, that's an insane level of, like, awareness of where those punches are coming from. I, I don't think we've seen anything like that. And obviously, you know, like Dana feels the same way, saying that, you know, he thinks a, a title shot has got to be next for him. It's not often that you lose two in a row to the same guy, and then people are, are instantly demanding for a third one. But e even I am ready for their third fight now. Right. Uh, before we... Um, I I respond to all that. Who was the guy he was talking to at ringside again? Oh, Cage side? Daniel Cormier. 
<laughs> yeah, oh, that's what I thought you said, Cormier. Okay. Uh, anyhow, um, yeah, he, he He's still not did. Canadian. Get... You can say it like an American. <laughs> <laughs> he, he still did get hit his his uh, his trademark hundred plus times in the fight, but um, but yeah, his he, he just looked in, incredible. Um, like a, a whole new fighter, basically. Um, the way he was, it was just. Uh, unreal the way he was he was lighting up at cater the best thing you say, say about calvin cater is is he was tough um he he survived all five rounds but um not much else to really take out of it for him um in, in terms of positives um holloway broke the record for most strikes in a fight he landed 447 he also broke the record for most strikes by two fighters in a fight i believe so like his his 447 strikes landed were more than any two Fighters combined in, in a fight, Lana, which is insane. And he won 50-42, 50-43, 50-43, which is one of the most lopsided scores in UFC history. I believe they said it's the most lopsided score since Rich Franklin and David Lizot, which was decades ago. So it's quite quite the performance, quite the bounce back. And certainly. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't agree with any of the judges' scorecards. I had it 50-41. Uh, with the exception of the first round, I gave him every one 10-8, uh, which would have landed him at 50-41. <laughs> I'm not sure you could pick two, never mind the, the fact that some judges thought you could pick three rounds that were only 10-9, because I, I don't know where in there Cater did enough to not make any of those last four rounds 10-8. Right, and um, let's check your math also. You said 10-8 for every round, and that would make it 41, is that right? 10-8 for every round except for the first. Okay. I All gave right, the gotcha. first 10-9. Right, yeah, I right, right. I gave the first 10-9 okay. and then the rest 10-8. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So, yeah, it, you can't really argue with that. This was as lopsided as they go. But it, that's not to say it wasn't fun. It was fight of the night, and it was an incredibly exciting fight to watch, basically just, just due to uh, Max Holloway's uh, artistry in, in the cage there. For sure. Yeah, I definitely would have given it fight of the night. But I hear, like, premature talks, like, this is definitely going to be there at the end of the year for fight of the year. I think after you see some other wars, you're going to realize, oh, that one was really one-sided. And while it was fun to see Cater continue to try to push forward, I mean, like, this is a this is a beatdown. It was definitely the most exciting fight on this card, but uh, I, I don't think you're going to see it still around at the end of the year for fight of the year. Yeah, no, th- those are more two-sided battles when, when you get a fight of the year and that this was definitely not that at all um co-made event was was also a very exciting fight and that was a more um two-way battle um definitely uh between two old grizzled guys carlos condit who i ended up sticking with and thankfully i did because i won that pick and uh and dan had matt brown that was but both guys left that fight um looking looking quite well Brown's face didn't look quite well, but but both guys uh, put on a very good performance for uh, for guys supposedly um, with one foot out of the sport. Yeah, and and I'm impressed the most with Carlos Condit's ability to grapple because I think for a while we've talked about him being the guy who, if somebody else initiates the grappling, he's out of there, right? Like that yeah. that's long been the path to victory over Carlos Condit. People were chastising. Court McGee for not trying to shoot at least one takedown against him and winding up losing a decision on the feet. I think he showed here that even if he is going to concede some takedowns, he had some good sweeps. He had some good reversals. He, he, he actually sprawled on a couple of them that were decent or at least used the cage a little bit to avoid a takedown or two from Matt Brown, which is a big improvement for him and, and kind of shocking to see at this his current age. 
Um, I will also, just before we, we close the door on this fight, say the judges fucked up on these scorecards too because there is no way Matt Brown didn't win that first round. So for all of the judges' scorecards to say 30-27 right. is insane. It was definitely 29-28 across the board. I gave it, you know, the, the right guy didn't get robbed of this fight, but I, I have a tough time watching that first round and wondering how the hell you score it for Condit. Yeah, it's... Um... Maybe because Brown uh, split himself open, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, uh, but but yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't Condit that that split him open. He he uh, got cut on on the takedown. Is that isn't that correct? I think so. In, in like it, there was all yeah. kinds of clashes. And I mean, like look, the dude's forty years old, and his face is pretty much entirely made of scar tissue at this point. You can look at him the wrong way, and yeah. he starts bleeding. So like. If you're judging around based on the fact that he's bleeding, he ain't ever gonna win a round. <laughs> right, right. When you go to MMA decisions, the majority of of media had it 29-28. Uh, but looks like three people had it 30-27, which which I don't agree with either. But the vast majority had it 29-28. Um, so kind of that's two straight wins for him. He's almost 37. Is you think he has any kind of future as uh, other than a fan favorite, uh, exciting fighter to watch, or, or um, is does does he have any any top of the division um, life left in him? You think? I don't think so. So like he he right now is is reversing, sweeping, out grappling Matt Brown, forty year old Matt Brown. Uh, you got to remember that hundred seventy pound division is filled with better wrestlers than than Matt Brown, right? Like, we're about to talk about Li Jingliang, who won by violent knockout. Not only would he probably, you know, take it to Carlos Condit on the feet, but he also has that wrestling in his back pocket where he would just smother Carlos Condit. And that's a guy who, I mean, depending on how the rankings come out with, with him having beaten Ponzinibbio, was unranked. So, you know, like, I, I don't see him as that. What I would like to see is a couple more of those, like, legend legacy fights for him. Like, who wouldn't like to see him run it back with with Robbie Lawler right now, right? Like, Robbie, right. Th- that Robbie Lawler fight was five years ago now for the title. Obviously, neither of them have looked good since then, both on, like, massive losing streaks. You know, I think they're both, like, two and five since then. But, like, that, that's the perfect kind of fight for Condit now. Give him some ones that are exciting to watch, maybe rematches of old fights and stuff like that. I think he's got enough left in the tank to get a couple of more nice paydays and and against guys who are who are fun to watch him fight. But yeah, I, I think this division is too loaded with with talented wrestlers for him to make any real noise. Yeah, totally agree. Um, now you mentioned uh, the next fight on uh, on the card before the Condit one was um, the Leech Li Jingliang uh, violently knocking out Santiago Ponzinibbio, which is a fight we both. One of the many fights we both whiffed on uh, last night. A very, uh, very impressive performance for uh, for the Leech. Yeah, and he's actually – it's crazy to think about. Like, he actually was the largest underdog on the card, which I, I think we said last week, seeing Ponzinibbio at that number was scary because he had been away for two years. So, like, we, we picked him, but, we, like, we weren't advising, like, you drop your, your entire bank account on him because those numbers suck. But it, it was interesting to see the way – Jing Liang did it too because I thought for sure if this was going to be his fight it was going to be uh, pressed up against the cage it was going to be wear out Ponzinibbio it would be 
at least mix up enough takedowns in there so that Ponzinibbio is guessing, even if you're not scoring them, even enough so he's guessing. And and we got none of that, right? Like we got we got just him standing and trading with Ponzinibbio and, I mean, ultimately winning it. Like he, he tagged him with a damn good one. I'm not sure he even needed the shot once it got to the ground, but he landed it pretty damn flush anyway. So props to him. And, and he's actually on a nice little run I was looking. He's, he's won four out of five with only a loss in there to Neil Magny, who's main eventing the card we'll be talking about later today. So, yeah, like, hell of a run for him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, he is uh, – and before that, he lost Jake Matthews, and he had, what, what four, four straight wins before that, too. So he's been uh, four wins, then a loss, uh, three wins, then a loss, and now he's got another win. So, yeah, he's he's putting together quite a, quite a decent resume, um, kind of under-the-radar uh, resume. Um Joaquin Buckley eh, got a little taste for his own medicine, got his head kicked off by Alessio Cherico. Another fight we got wrong. We weren't fans of the number. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take that uh, take that small victory, but uh, we both thought Buckley was going to get the job done. He got his lights put out uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, and I would say this too. Like that, that one bothers me a little bit less than some of the other ones that I botched bad. Because I don't think my, my read was all that bad in that fight either. Like, I, I think, you know, getting tagged with a head kick that just barely inched over the top of his guard and nicked the top of his head in that weird way that, like, those top-of-the-head kicks seem to just completely put people out or disorient them. Like, you know, he's a shorter guy against a taller guy, so obviously that could have played into it. We could have talked a little bit more about that. Um, I actually think you did bring that up now that I think about it. But, um, you know, I, I think if, if that fight goes longer, Buckley still proves to be the superior striker. If you, you told me they were going to rematch in three months, I'm not sure I wouldn't pick Buckley in the rematch. Um, you know, like good for DeCirico. He definitely saved his USV career coming off of three losses um, to pick out a big knockout win. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he got one of the performance bonuses too. So um, yeah, like props to him. But like, yeah, I, I'm okay with missing that one on, you know, the way that people miss picking MMA fights is that sometimes... It's it's not always the better guy who won. It's the guy who lands the big blow. Yeah, exactly. And Buckley's that's his third knockout loss of his career. So he's it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And for a guy who likes to stand and trade, he may not have the have the chin for it, um, especially not at this point. Um, other only other real notable thing. Uh, well, we got the Soriano wrong. He knocked out uh, Dusko Todorovic. Um, he, he looked. Fairly, fairly good at doing that too. He he was dominating that fight, knocked the mouth guard flying. Another another lost mouth guard. Um, <laughs> somehow we've got that twice since we started doing the podcast. Mouth guards falling down the crevices of of the octagon. At least they didn't have to search for this one underneath the octagon. I appreciate right. that that they they had a backup that was on its way in, and then they found it wedged in there. But I can't even remember whose mouth guard it was at this point. But, like, when they're underneath with, like, a little baby keychain flashlight, like, searching yes. for an off guard, it's, like, the most pathetic thing to see, like, a company that just cost somebody billions of dollars to buy uh, to do. Yeah. Yeah, that, and this was the day, this was the, their debut on ABC, and this was the very first fight also. So, yeah, um, uh, you, I believe it was Herb Dean was the ref, and he was – pretty uh, much adamant that they better get another mouth guard uh, pronto. So luckily they did that. And then uh, another one, uh, I think the last fight we should worth mentioning is we really whiffed on Joseline Edwards' uh, debut. Um, she looked great against uh, Wu Yanan. Um, swept her on, on two judges' cards and, and won 29-28 on the other, and she was just 
by far the, the better fighter um, in that fight. No fluke at all there. No, I, I think what's interesting about that one, though, is it seemed to me, you know, again, I, I said I like Mu Yanan because of her output and the fact that she was probably a little bit better of a wrestler. I still think skill-wise that's probably true, but I think what we found out today about Wu Yanan is that she is not big or strong enough to fight at Bantamweight. And and I think that that's very clear because she had fought almost her entire UFC career at flyweight, right? Like she fought Lauren Muller and she fought Mizuki Inoue at flyweight. And she, I I think if I'm not mistaken, she missed weight for at least one of those fights. So I believe so. Yeah. So like, I, I think she was killing herself to try to get down to flyweight for that reason. She's not strong enough to beat Bantamweights and she's not strong enough to look good against Bantamweights. And so now that she's back at Bantamweight, I, I think the, the future for her is pretty bleak. With that being said, you've got to love Jocelyn Edwards' uh, subs off her back, her sweeps. I mean, even her striking looked a little bit sharper than I had seen on the film. So I'm glad we got to see the real version of what she looks like against somebody who's you know skilled enough to be in the UFC. Um, and I'll be interested to see what happens when she fights somebody a little bit bigger and stronger. Right. Yeah. Um, but but nonetheless, a very uh, impressive debut for her. A um, couple other notes before we move on to um, to the rest of the uh, to the next event in this very busy week. Um, there were fans in the stands um, at the uh, Editat uh, Arena, which was quite noticeable because uh, it was it was uh, quite strange hearing people cheering. It's, it's been so long, but there were there were very very loud crowd um, for the for the small amount of people in such a large venue um, and kind of buried the lead here. The ultimate uh, one of the greatest carnies of all time, uh, Dana White pulled one of his one of his best grifts <laughs> grifts uh, ever, uh, promising a huge announcement uh, about Habib Namagamadov's future, and then basically um, on the ABC telecast saying that. Habib basically his stance hasn't changed. He's he's still retired. He said maybe if something exciting, quote unquote, or uh, spectacular happens at the pay per view, shockingly the pay per view that he wants everyone to, to to buy. If something spectacular happens at the pay per view coming up uh, next week, and then Habib might come back. So that was the like I said the one one of the ultimate uh, Cardi, uh, Carney uh, moves. Uh, that, that was like even Miss McMahon would, would blush at that. Yeah, I, my, my the comparison I made was uh, it, it was like if LeBron had done that decision uh, all the way back when he signed with the Heat and then he came out, sat in his chair and rather than saying I'm taking my talents to South Beach said, you know, I'm still waiting for some people to send some contracts and I'm pretty sure a good one's going to come in and I'll sign it. <laughs> like he, he, it was there was it was literally like. Oh, there, there's no status update. I'm just letting you know that you know, like maybe something might happen one day. <laughs> yeah, he, I, I I guess you can say the best thing you say is he made uh, lemonade out of lemons because I, I don't know if this was him over uh, him hoping that he would be able to um, sweet talk Habib into uh, into into coming back and and uh, he jumped the gun and and announced that he was going to have this big exciting announcement or or what the deal was but yeah he, he didn't look too good coming out of that and that um, he doesn't have to try too hard not to not to look too good because <laughs> you know Dana White <laughs> has a habit of doing that you know what I also found pretty interesting though was he did mention in there 
And and this was the like the most bogus point of it all. It's like he was like, if somebody this weekend does something pretty fun, like maybe Habib will come back. So now all he needs, right, is just some person to have a spectacular knockout. Now, of course, if two people put on kind of duds of decisions or close decisions, Dana is going to be left like, oh, then Habib's not coming back, right? Like he loses his his grift. So then he also threw in like, oh, and Habib also likes Charles Oliveira. <laughs> like he just casually dropped that in like, hey, just in case my, my pay-per-view this upcoming weekend is a dud, I still want to be able to dangle Habib in front of your face for another six months and tease it. So, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and of course, my favorite part of it all, too, perhaps was him saying, Habib doesn't want to hold up the division, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Habib doesn't want to hold up the division, but but I will, uh, because I, I, I'm angry that Conor McGregor uh, uh, released some personal attacks uh, between us, and, and I, I don't like someone having having control over me. So, um Last thing on Habib, do you see him him coming back? Like, I don't see him wanting to fight, uh, get back into the Conor McGregor circus uh, again. Um, maybe does he fight Dustin Poirier again? Like, I, I don't see how that would be exciting uh, for him. Um, and I don't know, Michael Chandler, Dan Hooker, are they big enough names? Not at this point. So I really... Like GSP, George St. Pierre was the only fight that really made sense, and Dana seems to have no interest in, in doing that at all. I'm assuming GSP is asking for too much money, or, or there's there's something along those lines that that he's. Uh, I think he may still be. Uh, his feelings might still be hurt from GSP coming back and winning the middle middleweight title, and then and then uh, disappearing again uh, back to back to Quebec. Yeah, I don't think GSP wants to come back. I think that's the most important part of that piece. And as far as this weekend coming up. The only of those four people fighting it, I don't mean this is in a disparaging way to anybody else, but of those four people fighting, I think the only one that could excite Habib enough for a comeback is, is oddly enough, I think Michael Chandler, uh, because, because you look at, you look at Connor, like he beat Connor and he beat Connor handedly, um, you know, Poirier a little less handedly than Connor, but still, you know, he, he submitted Poirier in, in much the same way. Then, then we get Dan Hooker, who's who's lost a, plenty of the top guys at, at lightweight. So like, I don't I don't think even a dominant performance for him against a UFC newcomer does anything for him as far as the Habib sweet stakes. But Michael Chandler is a champ from another organization coming to the UFC to prove himself for the first time. If you were to go out and knock out a top five opponent like Dan Hooker in violent fashion quickly. There'd probably be some hype around it. There'd be talk about like, oh, the old Bellator champ versus the UFC champ. Like he might be able to do enough for his own stock that would uh, would warrant that. But I, I think that's probably it. It's almost too much of a shame that Charles Oliveira isn't in one of these fights because I actually think he would be. As far as wanting Habib to come back and trying to convince Habib to come back, I think right now Charles Oliveira is the most intriguing name, being that he's looked so damn good. He's on a big, long win streak, which I'm sure Habib appreciates being you know, on such a long one of himself. He showed he had good wrestling. He just beat Gaethje. Like, he's got all the tools and stuff to do so. So, yeah, like I, I think that's probably the right answer, but I don't know necessarily that there is a right answer. Yeah, no, it it is kind of kind of sleazy of uh, trying to 
even for Dana White trying to talk a guy, uh, a guy who says he retires to honor his his uh, father who just passed away, and he's he's trying his hardest to, to pressure him to come back. But that's that's the, that's the Dana White way for you. Um, but but I, I do agree on the Chandler thing. Uh, he's still even after after next weekend, he still will be a little bit of a an unknown commodity, a little uh, mysterious, which is uh, which is of interest. Um, he has the like you said the Bellator credentials. Plus, he's he's an American wrestler too, which would be um, could be interesting for Habib uh, testing out his wrestling skills against against Chandler. So, uh, enough of all that hypothetical stuff. Um, we're in the midst of a three fight uh, three fights actually three fight cards in in the matter of a week after having three weeks off so uh, we should we should hop to that and, and preview the upcoming special Wednesday uh, edition of of uh, the UFC uh, but before that let me tell you about another one of our uh, sponsors which I'm active on it's better than dot Vegas uh, if you haven't heard of it yet better than dot Vegas it's like YouTube but for what hashtag the gens only care about which would be sports betting of course um, best part is you'll be able to get free picks from all of the crew over here at Sports Gambling Podcast Network, including myself. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to Sports Gambling Podcast Network page, sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV, and you won't miss any of their videos. And if you're subscribed, you get a notification sent to you every time that one of us posts a video. Um, hopefully you didn't follow my advice for last uh, weekend's um, picks because I had Wu Yanan and uh, I told you to jump all over that and that didn't quite work out and the other one I had was a fight that, that fell through um, so you made no money off of me um, but this week I'll do better I promise uh, so just make sure you go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV to subscribe to our better than dot Vegas page today so it's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV um, so, like I said, this is a uh, UFC had three weeks off, and now for some reason they're doing three fights in a week. Um, we had last Saturday's, we have a Wednesday card, and then we have uh, next Saturday's big uh, pay per view of Conor McGregor's uh, return. So, um, on Wednesday, I can't remember the last Wednesday card they've had, it, it has been a while. Um, this one had a uh, main event change, which is happening often within these COVID times. Um, it was supposed to be Leon Edwards versus uh, Rustam Chimiev. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Kamzat Chimiev. I, I always get him and Rustam Habilov mixed up for some reason. But yes, um, this is a fight who's what they've been scheduled two times before, three times before. It, and it's, they're booked again, too. <laughs> and they're booked again coming up in what, March, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it's anyhow, that one fell through. Um so now we still have a have a uh, a decent main event. It's going to be a welterweight uh, main event. I believe it's still f- five rounds. Is that right? I as far as you know, Dan. I believe so. Yeah, as Michael Chiesa versus uh, Neil Magny. Um, like I said, this is a Wednesday card, and it's uh, Wednesday afternoon also, which may not work for some of you. Uh, I guess with all of us working from home, we can keep one eye on the fights while while we're working, right? Um, Prelims are kicking off at nine in the morning, so um, bright and early Wednesday morning, and then the main card is uh, kicking off at at noon. Um, so they're basically they're setting their their fights up to to work with uh, since they're going to have an audience actually uh, about two thousand people in the four thousand um, seat uh, Etihad Arena. They're um, they're they're setting up their uh, at least this card for 
to work on their time. They're about what four hours ahead. Uh, actually, they are about uh, what nine hours ahead of, of Eastern uh, Standard Time. So, uh, um, let's get started. Enough rambling by me. Let's get started. Uh, let Dan make some bad picks here uh, on the on the night because um, we know he will. He, he hasn't disappointed yet with with the bad picks, right, Dan? You always come through. I definitely haven't. Not yet. <laughs> He's been consistently bad, which is um, all you can ask for is consistency. You know what you get from him. All right, we'll, we'll kick things off with a women's flyweight bout. Uh, Victoria Leonardo will be making her UFC debut against a debuting short notice fighter. That short notice should set off alarm bells for you because that's, uh, that's a red flag usually uh, for people uh, to lose fights. Uh, this would be Manon Fiorot. I don't even know how to say her name. Do you know how to say her name properly, Dan? I think is, is Fiero, I, I think yeah, you okay. say it, it, the French way, which I think my yes. Canadian friend here should be able to say better than me. But yeah, she's French, yes. right? Yeah, eh? yeah, she's French. So um, <laughs> anyhow, um, yeah, short notice. It's her debut. She's got five. She only got five pro wins, so she's um, new to the sport basically. Before knockouts, um, two inches taller than uh, Leonardo and. She's a minus 150 favorite, which I uh, found a little surprising when I was looking at these numbers, not to tip my hand here. As for her, um, I was going to say Brazilian, but she's Venezuelan actually from, uh, but she's really from New Jersey. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is coming. Uh, she's got uh, only 10 pro fights, but, but when you look where she's fought, uh, two fights in LFA, uh, five fights in Invicta, a fight in Bellator, and then a fight on Dana White's content contender series. So she's uh, had a lot of top-level experience. Um, like I said, it's her debut. She won her way into the big show on Dana White's contender series. Um, she's got five inches of reach on her taller opponent. Um, she's a plus one. I saw her at 153 was was the most favorable number I saw uh, for her on the on the plus side. Um, what are you thinking on? Do you know much about? either of these ladies begin with yeah I, I know quite a bit about uh well obviously i saw leonardo on the contender series so i know a little bit of her from that and i've actually seen uh Firo a few times fight the thing i like about Firo and probably why she's coming in here as a favorite is you hear that number you know she's only five and one she's making her debut but also i think it's really important to know that she has some really high level experience she fought in uae warriors which is slowly turning into being one of the better promotions out of that area. She fought in EFC, but also she has a lot of experience that doesn't show up on that professional record. She twice fought on um, basically the ultimate fighter version of EFC, which is an African promotion. She fought twice on that, looked really good in those fights too. That obviously doesn't show up in her pro record. She also has an extensive amateur record. She was a world champion in IMMAF. Uh, which is a, you know, the, sort of the governing body and the people who are moving forward best with amateur MMA. She was a world champion in that. So she actually has a lot of, um, there, there's both a lot of film out there on her and she's got a lot of experience. And the thing I like about her is she uses her kickboxing really well to create distance. She's got great footwork. And for me, when I look back at Leonardo's cage uh, or uh, contender series bout, the problem with her was she was getting beat on the feet by Chelsea Hackett, which is not necessarily surprising, being that Chelsea Hackett is a Muay Thai fighter and she has that Muay Thai background. But the difference here is that Leonardo changed that fight by shooting takedowns, pushing her against the cage, being the more physical fighter against somebody who has very little grappling experience. 
Now we have somebody who has that kickboxing advantage over her and the ability to stuff her takedowns and the ability to be the more physical fighter. So I think the fact that Firo comes in here as a favorite is not surprising. And, and I actually am going to take her here too because I think she's a, a better kickboxer and she will at least have the physicality to make sure that, that uh, Leonardo is not able to do what she did to Chelsea Hackett. All right, well, it's good. We're going to differ on the very first one because I'm going Leonardo based uh, purely on um, on her. When you look at her, her resume, it's far better than Figueroa's uh, in terms of not just in, in terms of promotion she fought for, but, but opponents um, and opponents' records. And uh, she's also got the um, – she's used to fighting uh, in, in the UFC cage. She's at least had a, a contender series fight. And, and she's got quite a huge reach advantage. So I, I'm going to go with her uh, for plus money for my first dog of the, of the night. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. So um, familiar name, uh, at least familiar last name on our next fight. I don't think this one's officially been added to the card, but it sounds like it's been bouncing around a lot off of different cards. But I believe it's going to happen on Wednesday. That would be uh, bad and way bump between Umar Nurmagomedov, Madoff. Uh, who would be Habib's cousin, his actual cousin. Uh, he, he's got a lot of people who uh, who are claimed to be his cousin, but this one is actually his uh, cousin, hence the last name, same last name. He's fighting uh, Sergey Morozov. Um, we will start with Morozov first. Uh, 16 pro wins, eight knockouts, three submissions, so a very good uh, finisher. He's won five straight fights. He was uh, the former M1 Bantamweight champion. Uh, but he's been out of action since October of 2019, which is a little bit of a concern there. Uh, he's an m- insanely huge plus 415 dog uh, on on this on this uh, matchup on this Wednesday. I was going to say this weekend, but this Wednesday. Um, as for Habib's cousin, um, Umar is 12 and 0 as a pro. Um, he also he fought. Um, Couple fights in PFL, so some high, higher level fights in North America. He's two and zero in PFL. Um, he'll be the taller man, two inches taller, uh, seven years younger, which is a big thing. He also has been inactive uh, since November of 2019, uh, so he's been on the shelf for a while. He's had uh, his debut pushed back quite a few times. His UFC debut. He's minus one, minus four fifty. Uh, he's my pick, but I'm not going anywhere near a number this huge for for a debuting guy. Yeah, and I, I think if I'm going to bet this fight at all, I actually think there is value at plus 415 here for, for Sergey uh, Morozov. Sergey Morozov. Yes. I, I think there's a lot of value in there, too, because I think, and we saw this with Sednur Megamedov, too, which you might remember uh, is Habib's pretend cousin or, you know, his third cousin or wh- whatever, whatever relation to Habib. Seems like everybody who comes to the UFC is Habib's eighth cousin or something like that. So, uh, you know, like we saw with Sednur Megamedov when he came to the UFC, everybody was like, oh, this is the guy, this is the guy. And like, is he good? Yeah, he's all right. But is he, you know, Habib Jr.? No. And I feel the same way about Umar Nurmagomedov. I think he's getting a lot of that negative number because people see Nurmagomedov. You know, if, if I was looking at this fight objectively trying to create a line, you know, like I see Morozov as a, a slight underdog, like maybe plus 150. So for the fact that you're seeing plus 400 numbers there, I would definitely bet the side of Morozov if you were going to bet at all on this fight, which obviously you should bet $100 no matter what on every single fight. So uh, if you're a true hashtag DGN. So I, I'm going to say, you know, if, if we're going with official picks here, and I have to choose one of the odds. I'm going to take Morozov in this fight. Um, All right. I, I just think, 
he's going to go out there and sling it enough. Uh, and that, that's kind of fun to watch. I don't think his boxing is as tight as Umar's. But I think Umar might might rely a little bit too much on the takedown here. And I'm not sure that he takes down Morozov. So uh, it, it'll be interesting enough to see if Morozov can be successful on the feet. And at plus 400, I mean, like, I, I, I see no reason to bet Nurmagomedov anywhere higher than negative 200 in this fight. Yeah, I agree on that. Um, but he's... Uh, um... I got to make a pick, and he's my pick. So it's two wins for me and two losses for Dan. Um, so this, this card start, started off quite well. Um, well. Move things along. We got lots of fights to break down here. Let's go to lightweights. Mike Davis, Mason Jones. Um, Mason Jones is – he's debuting, correct? This is his – Yeah, he is yeah, yeah. He is another undefeated fighter, 10-0. He's one of the um, uh, magical – mystical uh cage warriors double champ um which is uh what a lot of the like um uh, mr conor mcgregor was uh heading into the ufc he the, mason jones was a lightweight and welterweight champion over for the european promotion cage warriors um he is three years younger than davis he's a plus 170 dog in this one as for davis davis uh eight pro wins seven knockouts one submission so he's never gone to decision uh one-on-one in the ufc he dropped his first and won his last um, he was on Dana White's contender series previously. He lost his fight there. Uh, he'll be the taller man here, two inches taller. Uh, they have the same reach, though. Um, he's been inactive since October of 2019 also. He's minus 181. And I'm going to cheat and listen to Dan's breakdown before I make an official pick uh, on this fight. I have someone penciled in, but I want to hear what Dan has to say first. So it's interesting to me because I, I think Davis is hard to get a read on because the, the guy's one and one in the UFC, and he fought – Maybe the best welterweight in the UFC right now, right? Like Gilbert Burns fighting for a title very well right. could be uh, Kamar Usman. And he fought definitely the worst welterweight who's been in the UFC in some time in Thomas Gifford. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean that disparaging, but like Thomas Gifford's bouts in the UFC were, were very subpar. And I believe he lost his first fight after leaving the UFC as well. So like Mike – and people loved Mike Davis based on that win over Thomas Gifford who, like I said – one of the worst fighters in the UFC. That fight should have been stopped eight minutes earlier than it did. And if it stopped eight minutes earlier than it did, I'm not sure we'd still be talking about Mike Davis being this beast because like he'd have a knockout win, but he wouldn't have just put it on this dude for, you know, 14 minutes before the ref mercilessly uh, came in and, and let the fight stop. So I think for that reason, I think he's being overrated here. And I actually really like Mason Jones. The kid is super young, super talented. He's been training to be an MMA fighter since he was seven years old. Like, I actually think that he is probably maybe not the better striker here, but he's going to mix things up enough that's going to make Mike Davis think about the takedown constantly. Think about all aspects of the game. And I really think that's all you need to do to beat Mike Davis here because I do think Mike Davis is a good boxer, but on the feet, he's kind of one note. He's kind of, I'm going to strike you and I'm going to win there. And I think here that the multifaceted game plan of Mason Jones makes him my pick. Yes, he was going to be my pick also, so we will agree on that. Um, so the first one we get wrong together. Yeah. Exactly. We will both go down together in this one. Uh, another familiar name in the next fight, uh, Flyweights, Francisco Figueredo, who is the younger brother of the champion of uh, the Flyweights, Debison uh, Figueredo. Uh, he will be making his debut. His debut has been long awaited also. He's fighting Jerome Rivera. Um, quick breakdown here. Rivera, 10 wins, 7 submissions, so 
quite a quite a lot of finishes, especially for for flyweights. Uh, he dropped his UFC debut. He won on Dana White's Contender Series, getting into uh, the big show. Um, he's got four inches of height, three inches of reach, so he'll definitely be the bigger man here. Um, he's six years younger. He also has a big plus 130 beside his name. Um, as for Figueredo, the younger, he is uh, the younger brother, at least. He's uh, 11 pro wins, three knockouts, seven submissions. So he's another it's an insane amount of uh, finishes for a uh, for a lightweight um, or a lighter weight fighter. Uh, his last five fights, he's 3-1-1. One, and one. Uh, Like I said, this will be his debut, but he has not fought since September of 2019. He's minus 138. I think I'm going to go with the dog in Rivera in this one. I'm, I'm after last week's all my picks being chalked, this uh, or almost all my picks being chalked this week, I'm going with a lot of dogs. I'm going with with Rivera. And I'm going to join you on that one too. All right. Uh, kind of for the same reason is I picked against Umar Nurmagomedov. I think this line's inflated by the last name, and I yep. think if you look back at Figueredo's record in the UFC too, or in the in his regional bouts, you know you said what what is he? He's three one and one in his last five. And before that, he had a draw, too. So he's 3-1-2. The other really alarming thing about that is those last five fights have come over the last four years, right? Like that fifth one you're talking about, that win five fights ago, came in November of 2016. This guy is not active very much. He fought one time in 2019. He didn't fight in 2020. He fought one time in 2018. And so we're talking about like almost – Almost two and a half years of action here, and in two and a half years of action, he's 1-0-1. Um, and, and that loss to Eduardo Souza, I didn't think he looked all that good in it. You can actually find the footage to that on uh, on YouTube. And that's a guy he lost to already, too, who's you know kind of like an older, just stronger version of him. Um, I, I don't like how, how Figueredo looks on the feet. He, he looks like he doesn't protect his face very much. He relies a lot more on the takedown than his brother does. Um, to, to win fights and to take advantage in fights. And with that being said, you just mentioned, you know, a guy like uh, uh, Rivera, who has a, quite a few subs on his record, is a tough matchup for a guy who goes in there and needs a lot of takedowns. So, yeah, I like Jerome Rivera in this fight as well. Um, I, I got him taking out Figueredo. Yeah, another um, quick thing to mention, he, Figueredo is already 31, and you got to kind of wonder about guys who don't make the UFC till they're, uh, till they're a little bit, uh, later in, in their fighting careers, you, you kind of wonder what kept them from making it to, to begin with when they were a younger, younger fighter. And it's not 31 in the heavyweight division. If he was a 31 right, exactly. debuting fight in the heavyweight division, I'd be talking about him like he was some spring chicken in a yes. hot prospect. But at flyweight, that's not the age where you should be making it. And you also certainly have to question, and I don't mean to disparage Davis and Figueredo, but you also have to wonder, the guy has not fought in a year and a half He's only fought twice in the last two and a half years, and he's coming off a draw. Could it possibly be that he was just signed as a favor to his brother, who is doing up pay-per-views for Dana White right now? Like, God, it, it certainly has to feel that way, right? Yeah, without a question, yeah, without a question. But that's the way the world works. It's it's who, who you know, uh, not what you've done. But uh, that's all right. We'll, we'll take some plus money. Um Playing, playing off that. Not not a problem at all. Uh, we'll move on to some bigger guys. Middleweights. Uh, Dr. Lugambiabula uh, versus Marcus Perez. Um, Perez is... Yeah, he's taking this in fairly short notice, is he not? I believe yes. he, he, yeah, because yeah. Lugambiabula was supposed to fight Carl Roberson, who had to pull out twice due to COVID. 
Right, right. Okay. Um, but I believe he's, he's had more than a month's notice, I think, which is why I haven't marked it down as short notice. I, I wouldn't even consider short notice if it's, if it's weeks rather than months. But anyhow, uh, Perez, uh, 12 wins, three knockouts, six submissions. Um, he's only two and four in the UFC. Uh, he did get his lights put out his last fight, uh, which was the only time he was finished. So, Hopefully that didn't destroy his chin if you plan on picking him, but um, you never know uh, how how guys guys or, or gals will bounce back after the first knockout. Um, one in three in his last four fights, uh, lost his last two, um, so he, he's on a skid here. Um, he will be the bigger man here, at least height-wise. He's, he's got five inches of height. He also is one year younger. Uh, he's a plus-115 dog. Luga Miambula, uh, one-on-one in the UFC. Um, he also got knocked out his last fight. Um, he's got three inches of reach on Perez. Uh, you can get him for around minus 127 is about the most favorable number I saw for him. Um, he's going to be my pick heading into this one. Um, are you going to agree with me here also or not? Yeah, I like your All pick right. on this one, but I will say I, I'm cautious on a little right. Bula pick here. Because I, I think we, we broke down his fight with Carl Roberson too, I think, before that one was canceled. And I said... I don't know how he plans on getting to 185 pounds. I don't know. Yep. I don't know what the thought process is behind that. I think it's probably that he's like a what is he like five nine? He's like a five nine light heavyweight, which doesn't seem like a good idea because he's so right. short. So I think he's thinking, I'm short. I got to move down. But the dude is massive, right? Like the dude yep. fought at heavyweight in his previous promotion, EFC, in in South Africa. So like for him to be a guy who's thinking, oh, I could do 185, I'm worried about his cardio because his cardio wasn't good at 205. So I'm worried about what's going to happen when he sucks down. If he did it the right way, he should be fine. If he's just like, I'm just going to do a more massive weight cut, I'm worried about him anytime after the second round, which if you remember, that's why I picked Carl Roberson when we broke down that fight. But that being said, I think Marcus Perez is a good type of opponent to see what he's got because Marcus Perez, like you said, Coming off of getting knocked out, he's overly aggressive sometimes when he's boxing. Like, he's really confident in his striking, and he shouldn't be. Uh, so, like, I think that this is probably a fight where Luki Ambula can hit him on the chin early and win, and we don't have to worry so much about his cardio. Uh, but but that is definitely, if you're thinking about pitching Dolce, that is certainly something that you have to keep in mind. Definitely. And actually, for the record, it looks like he's, at least according to UFCstats.com, he's five foot eight. Um, that, I mean, is a, yeah. that is a short light heavyweight. Exactly. But he is, but he's got six foot, uh, reach of a six foot four guy. So uh, that, that, uh, that helps him out there. But yeah, he is, he is a, a fire hydrant of a middleweight for sure. Um, before we move on to a couple guys who aren't fire hydrants, we're going to go back to the flyweight division. Let's tell you about another one of our, uh, lovely sponsors who will help keep us on the air here. Uh, Better Edge, another uh, newer sponsor for us. That's B-E-T-T-O-R-H. So Better Edge, Edge, if you haven't heard of it, it's a stock exchange for sports bets. It allows you to buy and sell betting positions like you would in the stock market. Best part is it allows you to bet with no VIG. Since you're buying positions from other sports bettors, there's no house, so they don't steal your money. Uh, you can play for money for, for keepsies in 40 states uh, in the U.S., uh, plus us uh, good people at SGP, we have a weekly contest going with them for all of our listeners. Uh, we had the SGP wildcard wager uh, 
fifteen dollars to enter. I'm not sure. I guess we're past the wild card phase of the NFL, but I'm sure there's still a, a, a uh, contest going on just with a different name now. So ten dollars to enter. Each user will start with a balance of a thousand to wager on multiple events, and the player with the highest earnings will take the entire pool of entry fees. So sign up today at betteredge.com and use promo code SGP for a free $10 bet. That's B-E-T-T-O-R edge.com, promo code SGP. Uh, type SGP in any website you go on and, and see what you get for free because more like you're going you're to get something for free. Um, all right. So like I said, a couple of non uh, – the opposite of uh, Dolce Lugamiambula. We got some flyweights here, uh, some little guys again. Uh, Sumaderji. Zaruk Adashev. Like I said, I'm a writer. I don't say these names very often, so um, forgive me if I butch them. Uh, Muderji will start with. Uh, let's start with Adashev first. Um, so he got three wins as a pro. So he is quite new to uh, MMA, but he's got two knockouts in those in those three pro fights. Um, extensive kickboxing record. He's had 19 kickboxing fights, professional ones. So. Was, 16 wins, 10 knockouts. So he's definitely going to be a striker here. He's also his. He's fought five pro fights, but three of them were in Bellator, Bellator excuse me, and one of them was in the UFC. So got some high-level uh, experience there at least. Uh, he lost his UFC debut uh, in a fight which he also missed weight, uh, and he got knocked out by Tyson Nam. So that's uh, not a very good start there to his UFC career. He's uh, might explain why he's plus 350 heading into this fight. Maderji, uh far more experienced in uh, MMA uh, terms. 13 pro wins, 11 knockouts, which is insane, uh, considering this is a flyweight belt once again. Um, thing to note, all four of his losses come via submission, but that shouldn't play much of a factor here fighting a, a kickboxer. So it's a, a favorable matchup for him. Uh, two and one in the UFC. He dropped his debut, but now he's won two straight. Uh, he is taking this fight on short notice, so that's a bit of a uh, red flag there. Uh, he will be much bigger here also, three inches of height, uh, seven inches of reach, four years younger. Uh, striking, grappling stats all in his favor. He's minus 370. Uh, he's definitely my pick. Yeah, he's definitely my pick too. And it's worth noting, he's as tall as Dolce Lugiambula. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Good point. Very, he's a, and he's 60, he's 60 pounds lighter on weigh-in day. That's crazy. Um, I would also say too, worth noting, uh, Adeshev missed weight at Bantamweight for that Tyson Nam yes. fight. He did not right, miss weight right, at Flyweight. Right. He missed weight at Bantamweight, which means he's got to come down another 13 and a half pounds here to fight an absolute monster who's been knocking people out i don't think this fight needs tons of breakdown here i think adashev is out of his element i know he's a kickboxer but he's going to be the much smaller kickboxer the much less powerful kickboxer and he doesn't have very much strength in terms of the weakness of muderji so i I think this is one of the easier fights on here to pick and and i'm taking muderji yep which is good uh we've got lots of fights breakdowns let's move on uh a weight class up uh bantamweight ricky simone Gitano Pirello. Um, boom, boom, boom. My stats here. Uh, Pirello will be making his debut. 15 pro wins, 11 knockouts, three submissions. So we got another finisher here, which is uh, good to see. He's won two straight fights via TKO. Uh, he'll be an inch taller than uh, the veteran he'll be facing, Simone. Uh, he has been on the shelf since October of 2019, uh, plus 306. Simone's 4-2 in the UFC. He also was uh, one... Uh, his only appearance on Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he won his last fight, minus 316. Uh, I'm taking him in this one also. Yeah, and I think that that negative 316 price tag is a crime. Like, that, that is an easy play right there for me. 
um, to hashtag throw in a parlay if you don't like betting negative 300 numbers all by themselves. But, yeah, I think this is a slam dunk, especially because if you look at Perello and you've seen any of his previous fights, like, he, he's fighting dudes who, like, are, are very one-dimensional. And that's that's sort of what you get out of Europe when you're not in Cage Warriors for a lot of these promotions. You know, he fought for European Beatdown, which is a promotion I had never heard of until I started doing some research on Perello. The last guy he fought was 7-5, and, and and the guy, let's be honest, looked like he only wanted to just a minority roll and leg lock or fall to his back and, and do that. He looked like he hadn't striked ever in his life. So uh, I, I think Simone, being a guy who has a win over Murab Dvalishvili too, it, I think this is is clearly a guy stepping up on short notice and filling a spot, uh, and, and Simone is just going to run right through him. Agreed there. Uh, and the headliner of the prelim portion, uh, like I said, it starts at 9 a.m. It's uh, actually going to be on the big ESPN. It's going to be on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Headliner is a match who uh, fight we broke down already last last week, I guess it would have been, right? Um, Omari Akhmadov, Tom Breeze. Um, so we could go through it quickly. We already broke it down before, but in case you're not one of our Awesome listener to listen every week. Akhmadov, 8-4-1 in the UFC. Uh, he's won three of his last four, plus 138. Heading into this, uh, Tom Breeze, 12 pro wins, five knockouts, six submissions. Three inches of height, four years younger. Striking stats in his favor, 5-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, he's only been stopped once. Uh, he got KO once, and that his only stoppage. Uh, he's minus 150. Uh, he was my pick originally, and he's still my pick, and Dan had gone against me there. Have you uh, wisened up, or are you still taking Akhmadov here? I'm still taking Akhmadov here. I yep. think my problem with Brees still continues to be that he looks like a different fighter every single time out. Uh, I, I like his jujitsu, but I don't love it off of his back. So, like, he, he's not going to take down Akhmadov, and, and odds are he thinks he's probably walking into a striking match, whereas... Akhmadov, the only person he's really had trouble with recently in the UFC, is Chris Weidman, who out-wrestled him, and Marvin Vittori, who couldn't quite out-wrestle him. That was a draw. So, like, we're talking about a guy who drew with with Marvin Vittori. I think Akhmadov is probably should have been the favorite in this fight. Um, but I think, you know, he, he probably wrestles up Brees here. And I, I think he probably does well enough on the feet, too. Okay. Well, that's another... Fat L for Dan. Um, that's good news for me. Uh, head, okay, let's let's do the main card uh, commercial free, shall we? Let's, let's uh, thank one of our last sponsors, uh, Ace Per Head. Uh, ever thought of starting your own sports book but don't know how? That's where Ace Per Head comes in. They're here to, here to help you. Um, they'll provide you with an all-inclusive professional betting site with all the lines updated up to the second and wagers graded immediately. They have top-notch customer support going 24-7 and some of the sharpest lines in the industry. Plus, Ace Per Head offers live betting and an amazing mobile experience. So get started today. Ace is offering up to six weeks free. So go to aceperhead.com slash SGP, aceperhead.com slash SGP. All right, commercial free now, guys uh, and gals. Uh, we start off the main card. Featherweights, uh, Lerone Murphy, Douglas Silva, Duandrage. Um, Duandrage we'll start with. Uh, 26 pro wins, 19 knockouts, one submission. Uh, he's a finisher, uh, four and three in the UFC. He's, but, however, he's won two of his last three. Uh, he's another guy who's been on the shelf for quite a while, since November 2019. Um, he's plus 245 dog. Uh, Murphy undefeated 9-0 uh, in one. One draw, his only blemish as a pro. Uh, he's got six knockouts. He's a finisher also. Uh, UFC is 101. 
he will be the bigger man here. Two inches of height, five inches of reach, six years younger. Striking stats in his favor, grappling stats in his favor, minus 269, and he, uh, I'm in his favor also. Yeah, I think I'm leaning Murphy on this one too. I am really cautious on that play though, because if you look at those wins for Andrade, even though they're a while ago, like we're talking about a guy who beat Marlon Vera. Uh, Barrow doesn't look like a good win anymore, but like he, he beat Marlon Vera. He, he lost to Rob Font and Peter Jan. Man, like those are ones where if you look at them, it seems like those are, are wins that you shouldn't feel too bad about. And yeah, Lerone Murphy went out there and knocked out Ricardo Hamosh. But like, can Lerone Murphy stop the takedown of Douglas Andrade if he wanted to? Like Douglas Andrade got Rob Font down two times. Right. Ah, man, like, I'm going to take Murphy on this one. I don't feel great about it, though, because let me be honest with you. I think Murphy is probably the better striker here, but he also has to keep his feet, which, again, Andrade, and he took down a different Rob Font than we're seeing now that he's back from his knee surgery and looked amazing against Marlon Marias. But, like, this is a guy who took down Marlon Vera. So, like, could he take down Lerone Murphy? Certainly. But, uh, yeah, I guess I'm going to go Murphy hesitantly. Yeah, uh, me also. Uh, I was uh, was leaning on Drudge. Originally, I was flipping back and forth, but uh, I ended up going with Murphy. Uh, to note, Murphy's take on defense is only 40%. Um, but... Andrade also doesn't shoot very often. He, he lands less than takedown uh, per 15, less than takedown per per 15 minute fight. Point uh, six five takedowns. But uh, of note, he has taken down some some uh, memorable uh, elite fighters in the division. Um, flyweights again, uh, which is good. We like watching the little guys fight. We like chunky guys, but we like little guys too. <laughs> um, chunky guy coming up possibly. Uh, warning coming up. Uh, flyweights: Matt Schnell, Tyson Nam. Uh, um, we will start with Mr. Schnell. 14 pro wins, two knockouts, eight submissions. So another fairly good finisher for flyweight. Uh, four and three in the UFC. However, he's won four of his last five. Um, he won four straight and then lost his last fight. So he, he went on a hot streak there. Uh, inch taller, two inches of reach. So he's slightly bigger. Seven years younger, though, uh, which is a, uh, a big thing. He also striking the grappling stats are in his favor. Uh, the only red flag here, he also has been out of action since December 2019. He's plus 118. Tyson Nam, 24 wins, 12 knockouts, one submission, uh, two and two in the UFC. Dropped his first two, but he's won two straight, both via TKO, minus 129. Um, we actually talked about one of his knockouts earlier. Um, thoughts on this one? I'm going with Tyson Nam in this one. I, I love Matt Schnell, but, you know, you mentioned him being a finisher. Those recent finishes for Matt Schnell, if you look back to them, they're both by triangle choke. One of them was with him on top first, and the other one was with him, you know, being able to transition to a triangle choke off of his back. And the thing that alarms me about that and that being his his method to victory here is that, like, that means he has to initiate the wrestling or somebody has to initiate it on him, and that's just not Tyson Nam, right? Like, Tyson Nam, I mean, the guy has said on record that his goal is to knock somebody out or get knocked out because that's what the fans want to see. And that is an insane thing to say, first of all. And second of all, that just tells you the type of matchup he wants here. So, with that being said, I, I, I don't know if Matt Schnell is going to be able to get him down. If he is, I don't know if he's going to be able to sub him. And every single round starts on the feet, and Tyson Nam puts people's lights out. So I, I'm going with Tyson Nam. I actually think he gets a finish here against Schnell. All right, I'm going to take the plus money uh, in Schnell. But 
but I, I agree with your breakdown. But um, I'm liking Chanel regardless. So um, moving on to one of Dan's favorites, uh, women's flyweight fighter Roxanne Modafferi. She is back in action against Viviana Rujo. Um, Roxy is four and four in the UFC. Uh, incredibly, every she swapped wins and losses back and forth. Every every one of those fights was a loss and then win, loss and then win. And she's coming off a win. So take note, people who are noticing that pattern. Uh, three inches of height, one inch of reach. Uh, the betters may have noticed the pattern because she's a plus 300 dog in this one. Rujo, nine pro wins, three knockouts, four submissions. Uh, won three of her four UFC fights, four years younger. Striking grappling stats in her favor, minus 315. Uh, she's my pick. Um, Dan will probably pick her, but he's going to tell you why uh, Roxy has a chance, so I'm sure. I, You were wrong. I'm going to take, no. take Roxy and Matafari. Oh, yeah, you're going with, your, going with your heart, not your head here. Uh, I don't know that I am, though, because let, let, let's talk about Viviar Arrio. She's a fighter who, who relies quite a bit on physicality, I think. Um, she's got better boxing than Roxy. I will for sure give you that. But my problem here is that she had a lot of difficulty taking down Montana De La Rosa. And while I love Montana De La Rosa, and I think Montana De La Rosa is a great fighter, Montana De La Rosa gets taken down when somebody tries to take her down. She's got like a 20% takedown defense rate or something like that. She, she's good at offensive wrestling, but she's not really all that great at defensive wrestling. And for that reason, I worry that Arruyo is maybe not as strong of a wrestler as we thought she was. Like, she she had a couple of takedowns against Jessica I once, but then got outboxed by Jessica I. So, like, w- w- I think we mistakenly talked about her as being, like, a good physical fighter after she, like, out-physicality Talia Bernardo. And, like, I don't think she's all that impressive in those regards. And, you know, not for anything, and you can say what you want about Roxanne being, like, the most awkward fighter you've ever seen on the planet – but she has made really big leaps and bounds as far as her, her physical strength and using that physical strength in fights. So I expect her to get outboxed quite a bit, but I actually think she has a pretty good chance of winning this with positional. All right, Dan's taking another L here. <laughs> another, I'm sorry, but that, that's okay. Um, hey, if you hit plus 300, is going to going to destroy me if, if you win that one that's going to uh win you the week for sure so i got i got a plus 300 and a plus 400 so if both of those hit i can, oh, I can right, whip yes. on the ref of the card and still feel that's good right myself all right uh move to light heavyweights maybe a hashtag chunky guy uh i, I would say that these guys fit in, in in hashtag chunky guys n- n- <laughs> n- not not maria so much but but isaac ike villain Nueva probably maybe not as much now that he's he's down to light heavyweight heavyweight he was at heavyweight before I believe was he not he was, or he was part of his career was yeah all right uh, we'll start with uh, Villanueva um, who is a journeyman who finally made the big show last summer um, 17 wins four knockouts so he's swinging for the fences he's dropped both of his UFC fights um, he's lost five times via submission uh, something to note um, minus 135 favorite in this one Maria. Um, Definitely, when you look at pictures of him, he's not chunky, but he's he's in one of the chunky divisions. So uh, nine wins, one knockout, eight submissions. So he's never gotten the distance. He's 0-3 in the UFC. Uh, he won on Dana White's Contender Series to get into the into the UFC. Uh, three inches height, three inches reach in his favor. Five years younger, striking grappling stats in his favor. Um, other than losing all his UFC fights, the only other red flag here is he. It's not fought, not fought since September of 2019. Plus 123. Uh, we're going to take another uh, plus money one in this one. 
I, I'm going to take the plus money one to, on this one too, and and not just because I think the line is off, because like I did with with Roxy and Mora's off, I, I think those lines are way off. I think he's actually going to win this fight. I, I think he's a plus money fighter here because he's 0-3 in the UFC. And let's just real quickly run back to 0-3. Alonzo Menafield, Eric Anders, and Paul Craig. Like, he has fought some absolute killers. And if you look at the people who he had fights booked with that got canceled, he was also supposed to fight Roman Delizzi, Tyson Pedro, and Modestus Bukowskis. That is a killer. Three canceled fights and an even better three fights that he's actually had. Plus, add in the fact that he has a win over John Alon, which is what got him into the UFC in the first place. That's a guy who went out and beat Mike Rodriguez and had a split decision with Roman Delizzi. That's a quality opponent that he's actually not only beat, but beat pretty handedly and beat with a, a choke. You mentioned that Ike Villanueva's got issues with the submission game. We're talking about a guy whose last seven wins have come by submission, and eight out of his nine wins have come by submission. That, that's a nightmare for Ike Villanueva, and I like Ike Villanueva. I think his striking is probably better than Morea's, but I think that this is a Morea fight all the way. And I think I smell a upcoming prop bet uh, at the end of the show for, for this one, too, possibly. Um, moving to the co-main event, uh, a weak co-main event on, on paper, but, but uh, it wouldn't have been the co-main event if the original main event hadn't fallen through, if all that makes sense to you. Um, watch weights. Warley Alves, Munir Laziz. Uh, Laziz, we'll do Alves first. 13 wins, three knockouts, six submissions, uh, one and two in the UFC. Actually, one and two in his last three, I'm sorry. Uh, seven and four in the UFC. He's been around for ages. Um, but he's still four years younger than his his opponent here. Um, he's been out of action since November of 2019. He's plus 191, I saw him at. Uh, Laziz, 10 and 1 as a pro, eight knockouts, uh, 1 and 0 in the UFC, won his debut. He's won three straight fights, two inches of height, four inches of reach, grappling stats in his favor, as is the betting line, minus 210. Yeah, I, I'm going to take Laziz here. I, I, yep. think, I, I think for sure he's the right play uh, in a lot of ways for this fight. One of the things being that he's kind of seen as this like kickboxer, right? Like he's seen as this guy who's who's going to go out there and slug and, and do pretty much no, nothing else. But he also hit four takedowns on Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who, who's a judo black belt. So for him to have taken him down as much as he did and outstrike Abdul Razak Al-Hassan for that whole time, you got to feel good about that. Worley Alves, you know, I, I like Worley Alves. It's worth noting that Worley Alves has a submission win over Colby Covington, which is kind of a fun stat to throw out there. But he's also a guy who got outstruck pretty badly by Brian Barberena. And for that reason, getting outstruck by Brian Barberena, getting knocked out by James Krause, I think Lizez is a better striker than both of those two guys. Um, with the wrestling mixed in, I think Lizez is an easy pick here. Yep, and it is Lizez. I was saying Lizez, but yes, I had his, I had an E added instead of a Z. So it is Lizez. Dan said a name correctly. It's just the French names he, he butchers here. Um, sorry? I, I was going to say, I think I got the, the one true French name correct, right? Like Marine yeah, Renault. Uh, or, uh, no, true. not Renault. Uh, Marin Firot. Marin Firot. Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I nailed. 
Very true. Uh, brings us to our main main event, uh, welterweights. Uh, Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny, originally scheduled for um, co-main event, but these guys are game to go five rounds in the, in the main event. Uh, they're both both uh, game fighters for sure. Uh, we'll start with Chiesa. Um, three straight wins, all at welterweight since his move up. He's He's been unstoppable, three straight wins, like I said. Uh, as a pro, 17 wins, 11 submissions, so he's looking to tap people out. Um, 10 and 4 in the UFC. Uh, grappling stats in his favor, uh, plus 118. Uh, Magny's won three straight also. He's won five of his last six, so he's on a very nice very nice streak here for the veteran. 17 and 6 in the UFC. Uh, two inches of height, five inches of reach. He's super gangly, so no surprise he's got five inches of reach here. Uh, striking stats in his favor, minus 132. Uh, I am going with him in this one, but it should be a fun fight. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun fight, especially if you're somebody who enjoys the intricacies of scrambling, grappling, wrestling, because I think this might come down to that. The the difference for me is just like, I think I, I have a tough time imagining a scenario where Michael Chiesa is able to lock up a submission on Neil Magny. Um, and that being his primary way of winning, like you said, he's got a lot of submissions on his record. If you take that away from him, we're talking about a fight where I think both of them are going to have success in the wrestling. I think both of them are going to have some top game time. I think both of them are going to hold the other one against the cage a little bit here and there. Which means that I think the deciding factor, if you don't think one has a decided advantage in the wrestling there, is going to come down to striking. And look, Neil Magny can hit you from all the way across the cage because his arms are so long. I don't think Michael Chiesa is nuanced enough in his striking to work to the inside all the time to have enough success in the wrestling. I actually think he's probably going to shoot less takedowns just because he's having a tough time getting close to Neil Magny and getting close to his legs. Magny pumps that jab like he did against Robbie Lawler, um, you know, mixed in with the takedowns here. I, I think Neil Magny probably has the advantage on the feet and does enough wrestling too. I actually think he might have the advantage there as well. So I I'm going to go with Magny. Again, a cautious, optimistic pick. Because I think this one is very close, as the odds suggest, but I do think he has the advantages there. Yep, yep, totally agree with that. So we're agreeing on that fight, but yeah, it should be. We're also agreeing it should be should be a fun fight and potential fight of the night. Um, as for props and parlays, I think we probably both like Morea to win via submission over Villanueva. Absolutely, and and I just yep. looked at that to try to find the line and see if you could find. Yep. Morea uh, winning by submission, and I'm seeing it at plus 225 on some sports books. Wow. Which means, yeah, that's a huge line. It, I guess it's not surprising because you're seeing him at plus 120 to win, period. Yeah, that's true. Which, which means, you know, when you break it up over three different odds, I mean, he's a massive. If you think he's going to win by knockout, you can get that at like plus 1600. So, so they they're pretty much saying he's either going to win this on with a submission or he's going to win it by decision. Being that it's light heavyweight, uh, you know, I don't see a lot of those fights going the distance. Like you said, Ike has trouble with submission defense. Plus 225, especially if you're thinking of him winning at all, um, is a nice juicy number there. You basically double your odds by taking him by submission. Um, and then other than that, as far as other uh, guys who I like in a parlay here, um, I I'm pretty sure I mentioned before Ricky Simone should be in a parlay. You know, a negative 300 and some odd you know, money there, it's still worth playing him. And, and I'd probably pair him with, and, and I know I said I cautiously, optimistically took Dolce Lugi on Bula, but those, no, those, those odds are very close to the center line there. And like I said, I just don't think Marcus Perez has the ability 
to take Dolce into those deep waters that he needs to in order to be the type of fighter who could exploit the fact that he's moving down to, to middleweight for the first time in his life. And who knows, maybe he'll look great at middleweight anyway. So when you combine the fact that like it's not the right opponent for to, to take advantage of that and that Dolce is definitely a better fighter here. I, I like those two together. And with those two together, you're going to get like plus 160 odds. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's going to be my official parlay for this one. And like like Jeff said here, I, I definitely think uh, Vinicius Morea by submission is a slam dunk pick. There you go. So we got, we hit all of our hashtags. Hashtag throw them in a parlay. We keep some parlays. We had a hashtag chunky guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think Morea I don't think Maria is fair to, to call him chunky, but Villanueva. Less chunky but, than he was, but uh, we'll, we'll say he's chunky still. So hit all our hashtags. Um, make sure you hit us up on, on uh, Twitter with, with the hashtags and make sure you follow us. Uh, I would be Jeff Fox Writer. He would be Gumby Vreeland. Um, you're going to get to hear from us again in a couple of days uh, because we have another fight card to break down, the very big UFC 257. So um, we'll get out of here and uh, we'll see you in a couple of days. Um, we may even be recording UFC 257 right this second. So you never know. The magic magic of podcasts. I'm not saying anything, but we may want to get out of here so we can get the other one in the book. So anyhow, thank you for listening. Uh, we will speak to you again shortly uh, for UFC 257.